Welcome to Liberty Church. We're glad you're here. Every day is Resurrection Day for the believer, but I do love Easter Sunday. It's a day to celebrate His resurrection, a day to remember more specifically and intentionally what Jesus did on the cross and the fact that He is alive forevermore. The primary thing I want to talk to you about today is the nature of God as revealed in the resurrection. But first, let me say a bit about the nature of God. If we don't know and understand His nature, we won't walk in the victory that He died to purchase for us. And in a world where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's only one thing that can be we can be certain of, and that is the nature or the character of God. Remember, the way God does things changes. He might ask you, for example, He might ask you one day to defeat the enemy. He might ask you one day to march around the walls of a city. And the next day, he might ask you to blow a trumpet and break a pitcher. Right? Do you remember those stories? The way he did things to defeat the enemy changed. The story of Jericho and how they, I mean, what an unusual military tactic to march around a city and then shout. But you know what's interesting? I may be chasing a rabbit here. What's interesting in the original language, when the walls of Jericho fell down, the implication is that every stone went to its place. So the place from which they dug the field, out of which they dug those stones to make the walls, so it was like a, a boom. It wasn't just a little kind of a crumbling it was like an explosion, and the rocks flew out. That seems to be the implication of that. That's, my, that's me chasing, chasing the rabbit down the trail there a little bit. So he did that, and then with Gideon and his 300, to defeat the enemy, he had them blow a trumpet and break this jar that was covering up a light, a, a, a torch or whatever, so that, that they defeated the enemy that way. So God, the way He does things, changes, but His character never changes. God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. That's out of Malachi. So guys, His nature, who He is, becomes our resting place, becomes our fortress, he, he himself is our deliverer. You know, something about the names of God. It says, um, the righteous run into the name of the Lord and they are saved. The names of God reveal in part his nature. Let me put it this way. You may know my name, Tad Smith, but that doesn't really tell you anything about me. I could be the meanest, orneriest person around. <laughs> or I could be the sweet. You know, we know one another's names, but until we get to know someone, 
as, in relationship, we really don't know what they're like. However, with the names of God, that's not true. When you know His name, it's a window into who He is. So when we say Jehovah Jireh, I provider, that means that is who He is and that's what He will be to you. When we say Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, that is who He is and that is who He will be to you. And there's many other names. Jehovah Rohi, our shepherd. Jehovah Nisi, our banner. All of these names, the names of the Lord, are names that are a window into His nature and His character. Another thing that reveals His nature and His character are His miracles. When we see God do something that's revealing who He is, amen, and who He wants to be consistently for you. That's why when I'm out and about and I feel prompted of the Lord to pray for someone, many times, most of the time, if it's, especially if it's healing, I'll say, you know, we've seen God do a number of healings. And I may share some specific things that God has done to build faith in their heart because I'm about to pray for them for healing and I want their hearts to be open and to rise up in faith to believe that God can heal them because I know the nature of God. Guys, we've got to be convinced and know the nature of God. We've got to understand that so that we can do what He's called us to do. We won't do what He's called us to do if we don't know His nature. I put it like this. When we know His nature, we will do the things He asks. We will do mighty exploits. It says in the book, the people who know their God will display strength and take action. That's out of Daniel. The people who know their God will display strength and take action. And for me, guys, it's been a journey and continues to be a journey to understand His character so that I can walk out, I can, I can um, be who He's called me to be and do what He's called me to do. Apart from knowing Him, I, I'm not able to do that. I know I've shared this example from my life on different occasions, but years and years ago, I can say that now at my age. Years and years ago, when the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to give all your money, I, I couldn't do it. I knew that I knew Jehovah Jireh. I knew, I mean, I knew in my head, I knew all these things. But when he said, I want you to give everything you've got away, I was too scared because I didn't really, really know the nature of God in that area. But after a month, when I finally worked up the courage or the Holy Spirit inside of me helped me to go, <clears throat> go and do that, I began over that next month, after I'd given everything I had, I began to discover that He truly is my provider. I, I, I learned it by experience, not just head knowledge. That ought to say something to you right there. The way we learn who God is is through experience. We experience Him. And so I've learned, and it seems like in that particular area, that kind of crops up every once in a while. 
And the Lord wants to remind me, He is my source. Not a job, not a, you know, not, not a bank account, not, but He is my security. He is my source. Amen? That's an example of what I mean of knowing His character, knowing His nature, and then being able to walk out. Guys, we love it when we hear the testimonies of people when they do great things, but most of the time we don't like to have to walk through the process ourselves to get that testimony. So the nature of God, it is of primary importance to the believer, understanding that. And since today we're talking about resurrection life and hope, I want to put us in remembrance of a few things. When we chose to sin, when we chose to disobey God, we became separated from Him. And He's the only source of life. So if I were to define death, I would define it as separation from the life of God. That is death. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, I believe it is, through one man, death entered the world. And we were, we were in Adam. I think sometimes there's a little bit of confusion with people when, when we say, especially when we say we were born sinners. But the fact is, the Bible says that we were in Adam. We were, we were all descendants of him. And when he sinned, everyone else that descended from him also sinned. So we were in Adam. And in that sense, we too made the decision to disobey God. We made that decision to separate ourselves from the life of God. But I love that in Romans 5, it also says, through one man, a way was made for us to reconnect. Through the other man, the, the, the man Jesus Christ, life entered, basically life entered the world. Guys, remember, Jesus, he didn't leave us to our own devices, to our greed and hatred that the world has. He didn't leave us to lust, hopelessness, and despair. He entered our world, and he took all that on him, that we could be free. Even though we had rejected him, he still came to us. Through that one man, we can experience life. So, we used to be in Adam, right? We used to be, that was our lineage. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we stepped into a new bloodline. And now we are in Christ. I love what Baxter Kruger says. It's not so much that we've invited him into our lives, but he's invited us into his life. The life that he possesses is now ours because we're in Jesus. And nothing can separate us from that life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're in the life of Jesus? The Greek word for life is zoe or zoe. People name their kids that. 
And then looking that up and kind of researching it a bit, it basically means the life as God possesses, as God has it. The life as God has it. The same life that He has. So the life that Father, Son, and Spirit had before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world, that same life, that circle of life, don't start humming that song in your head, that same life that they had, we get to enter into all because of Jesus, because we are now in Him. That's an incredible thought. And it's, guys, it's not just a theological thought, but it is a present day reality for you, even if you don't recognize it. You are seated in heavenly places with Jesus. So life becomes then, guys, our life becomes not a striving to attain something, but a simply, a, a simply a believing and receiving of who we are and where we are. Living from where we are. All right, so here it is, Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday. What does, what does the resurrection have to do with the nature of God? This is what I felt the, as I studied and prayed. This is what I felt the weight of the Spirit on. We must understand, so I'm going to just read what I jotted down. We must understand this about the nature of God. All that He does brings life. Because that's who He is. There is no death or decay in Him. He is life. So when, for example, when Jesus walked the earth and He carried the life of God in Him, you can read this out of John 5 and we may read this in a minute. When Jesus walked the earth, when He encountered something that, that had the effects of death, whether it was death itself or another thing, like when He encountered uh, Jairus' daughter, the leader of the synagogue, who had come to Jesus saying, please, my daughter is sick. Do you remember the story? He was, he was on his way. In fact, he was walking towards Jairus' house. And he was, Jairus had come to say, my daughter is sick. She's about to die. Please come and heal her. And Jesus said, basically, sure, I, yeah, let's go. He's on his way when a woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. A woman that had, had hemorrhaging... For 17 years, some of y'all remember, I don't remember, it was a long time. She had had hemorrhaging. When she touched the hem of his garment, life flowed. The effects of the fall, the effects of our sin that was ravaging her body, encountered the life of God and she was healed. Before they could really leave that ministry scene, somebody came up to Jairus, one of his servants, and said, it's, it's too late. Your daughter has died. But Jesus said, basically put his hand on his shoulder and said, don't worry. Life is coming. Gets to the house, puts all the people out and says, hey, she's simply asleep. 
they all start laughing, mocking him because they know that she's dead. They go in there and he says, little girl, arise. And life conquered death. Do you remember the other story when Jesus and his disciples are traveling along and they came by a city called Nain and there was a funeral procession they had on a pier, on a, on a um, kind of a, a litter thing that they were carrying the body of this, this young man who had died and he was the only son of his mother. And she was, she was, uh, was a widow. And so now she was left basically, especially in that culture, without any source of support, financial support. <clears throat> and compassion wells up in life. And he reaches out and he touches. He says, stop. And he touches this, I guess I'm imagining this, like four guys are carrying this platform with this body on it, and he touches it. And of course, if you touch a dead body in Hebrew society, you're unclean, right? But the cool thing is that body didn't stay dead for long. He resurrects life, encounters death, and life overcomes death. That's the nature of our God. That's what He does. Can I say this? Every single time. It's His desire for life. He never desired death. That was never His desire from the beginning. His desire was for life. One other example is, uh, well, you know, and I heard somebody, somebody say this isn't original to me, but Jesus ruined every funeral he went to, even his own, <laughs> because life overcomes. And other effects of that death, the effects of the fall, the effects of our sin, we see in the, the working of Satan and of demon spirits. And when Jesus got out of the boat, um, near the, the Gadarenes, where the, 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 the demoniac, the Gadarene demoniac was, he encountered the effects of that death. This man filled with legions of demons. And, and life over, overcame. The demons could not stay. He told them to get out, to leave. And they had to because life overcomes. Our God is not the God of dead things, but the God of living things. One last example. Do you all remember when some Sadducees, and I, I think I learned this as a kid, See, the, the Sadducees were one sect of religious leaders who did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. That's, I mean, that's an old thing. But it helps me to remember that. And so they, they, were, they were trying to trip Jesus up by asking, you know, and the Pharisees did this too and other, other ones. They were trying to chip, trip Jesus up by asking him tricky questions. And so they told this, this story, this hypothetical story, saying if a man is married to a woman 
and that man dies without leaving any children. Now, do you all remember in, in, the, in the Hebrew law, then the, the next brother down was supposed to take that woman as his wife and raise up children in his brother's name. That was the Hebrew law. That was the way they did it. So if a man is married to a woman and the man dies, leaves no children, the next brother takes her as a wife. He also dies and leaves no children. And it went on until there were seven brothers. Right? In this hypothetical situation that they're throwing in. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Well, Jesus said, knowing that they're, you know, we're trying to trip him up. He says that they'll be neither married nor given in marriage. They'll be like the angels. But concerning the resurrection, he kind of honed in on that. He said, you're greatly mistaken. For God is the God. He's the God of the living. He's the, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but He's the God of the living. That's who our God is. I want to read to you a little more extensively. Just kind of consider this like if your dad used to read to you when you were a kid, okay? And if he didn't, well, it's starting today. I'm going to read out of John 11, out of the Passion Translation. Okay, and so we're not going to we're not going to put it up on the screen, because I want you to listen to the story, and listen to the heart of God in this. In the village of Bethany, there was a man named Lazarus, and his sisters Mary and Martha. Mary was the one who would anoint Jesus' feet with costly perfume, and dry his feet with her with her long hair. One day, Lazarus became very sick the point of death so his sister sent a message to Jesus Lord our brother Lazarus the one you love is very sick please come when he heard this he said this sickness will not end in death for Lazarus but will bring glory and praise to God what takes place will, will reveal the greatness of the Son of God now, even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus with a divine love, he remained where he was for two more days. Finally, on the third day, he said to his disciples, Come, it's time to go to Bethany. But teacher, they said to him, Do you really want to go back there? It was just a short time ago that the people of Judea were going to stone you. Jesus replied, Are there not twelve hours of daylight and every day, you can go through a day without the fear of stumbling when you walk in the one who gives light to the world. But you will stumble when the light is not in you, for you will be walking in the dark. Then Jesus added, Lazarus, our friend, has just fallen asleep. It's time that I go and awaken him. When they heard this, the disciples replied, Lord, if he has just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. Jesus was speaking about Lazarus' death, but the disciples presumed he was talking about natural sleep. So Jesus made it plain to them, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, because now you have another opportunity to see who I am. And so that you will learn to trust in me. Come, let's go see him. 
So Thomas, nicknamed the twin, remarked to the other disciples, Let's go so we can die with him. When they arrived at Bethany, which was only about two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Many friends of Mary and Martha had come from the region to console them over the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, My Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. Jesus told her, Your brother will rise and live. She replied, Yes, I know he will rise with everyone else on resurrection day. Martha, Jesus said, You don't have to wait until then. <laughs> I am the resurrection. And I am life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I love He just moved the resurrection up, right? He just moved it up from that day, sometime in the future, to now. Life is now. Then Martha replied, Yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the Son of God, who has come into the world for us. Then she left and hurried off to her sister Mary and called her aside from all the mourners and whispered to her, He's here and He wants to speak to you. When Mary heard this, she quickly went off to find Him. For Jesus was lingering outside the village at the same spot where Martha met Him. Now when Mary's friends who were comforting her noticed how quickly she ran out of the house, they followed her, assuming she was going to the tomb of her brother to mourn. When Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, she fell at His feet in tears and said, Lord, if only You had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at His feet and all her friends who were with her grieving, he shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. He said to them, Where did you bury him? Lord, come with us and we'll show you, they replied. Then tears streamed down Jesus' face. I'm going to pause just a minute. How does what you're experiencing affect the heart of God? When in our life we encounter those effects of death, when in our life we encounter those things <clears throat> that come to us as a result of the separation from God, when we encounter hard times, when we encounter things we don't understand, how does it affect the heart of God? It affects Him just like this. He weeps. He cries. I've told you guys, in Sherry and I's trial, our 10 years or so trial of infertility as we prayed and wept and cried asking God to give us children there was only a couple of things I learned out of that 
One was the why question seldom gets answered here. Why, God? Why? 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 I, I still don't really have an answer for why. But I do also know this, that the Bible says that we're the apple of his eye. That's a poetic term for the pupil. And if you get something, if you get a grain of sand in your eye, or, you know, many times through the years when I've been cutting lumber and I get some sawdust in my eye or something, it's painful, isn't it? When the pupil of your eye gets scratched or you get something hurt, it's like, ah, God feels the same way when you're in pain. So I knew that in our lengthy trial of pain that God was there. He was there. And of course, the the end result of that is that life conquered. And we've got three fantastic kids. Amen? God isn't distant or removed. Seeing Jesus weep caused many of the mourners to say, Look how much he loved Lazarus. Yet others said, Isn't this the one who opens blind eyes? Why didn't he do something to keep Lazarus from dying? Another pause. It's easy to accuse God. You could have done this. You could have done that. And we point our finger at God. And in doing that, we miss the very source of our miracle. We miss the very thing that he wants to bring us into, which is a greater revelation of his character and his nature. A little bit more. Y'all hang with me. Then Jesus, with intense emotion, I love that, came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over its entrance. Jesus told them, roll away the stone. Then Martha said, but Lord, it's been four days since he died. By now his body is already decomposing. Jesus looked at her and said, didn't I tell you that if you will believe in me, You will see God unveil his power. So they rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus gazed into heaven and said, Father, thank you that you've heard my prayer. For you listen to every word I speak. Now, so that these who stand here with me will believe that you have sent me to the earth as your messenger. I will use the power you have given me. Then with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of the tomb in front of everyone. Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. He still had grave clothes tightly wrapped around his hands and feet and covering his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him loose. From that day, many of those who had come to visit Mary believed in him, for they had seen with their own eyes this amazing miracle. Wherever Jesus went, He took life with Him. And His life always conquered. So guys, what does this mean for us as I wrap it up? You may need to nudge your neighbor. That was a long reading. Nudge your neighbor and say it's going to get better. What does this mean? When Jesus came back to life, there was a power release such as the world has never seen. 
Matthew 27. Let's do look at that one. I think I gave that. Matthew 27. Look up here. (coughs) And Jesus cried out again. This is Jesus on the cross. He cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Can you hang on one second? Another little bunny I want to chase that was pretty incredible that I've heard. I need to verify this, see if it's true. The veil of the temple, I heard someone say that they, it wasn't just um, a single layer of cloth, but they took the garments that the priest wore because those were holy garments. And they, when, they, when they needed new garments, they took the old ones and sewed them into the veil so that through the years it got thicker and thicker. Thicker a word? More thick. <laughs> it just didn't sound right when I said it. So when that veil was torn in two, it was a tremendous power. It, was, it took great power to tear that in two. It was torn in two from talking about it. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Did I give you more? Yeah, the tombs, this is what was really cool. Talking about the, the release of life. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep or who had died, that's a euphemism for death, were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Bam! I'm talk, we're talking some power that was released. Enough power that it affected those, the people that were around that area, that had died, believers that were around, around that area. Power was released, unlike anything that this world has seen. Maybe that's why Paul said, I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection, Philippians 3.10. Can you stand a little bit more reading? Y'all hang on. Listen to this, talking about power. What does it mean for us? It means that there was a power that was released. Listen to this out of Ephesians 1. My prayer for you is that every moment you will experience the measureless power of God made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the resurrection power that was released through Christ when God raised Him from the dead. This resurrection power raised us up and seated us with Him at His place of supreme authority in the heavenly realm. Power was released in the resurrection. And now it says, and Eric quoted this verse earlier, we have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in us. That's Romans chapter 8 verse 11. If you want to jot down that, that scripture, Romans eight eleven, We have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in us. That same power dwells in you. It's power, guys that we've got because Jesus said in Acts 1.8 you will receive power you'll receive dynamite power right dunamis power where we get from the word we get from where we get the word dynamite you'll receive that power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that same power that took Jesus out of the grave is in you so we've got power we have hope 1 Peter 1.3 says, We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Let me say that again. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Every situation we face can have the life of God flowing into it. He is the expert at turning things around and bringing life. What does it say in Romans 28? Verse, um, Romans 8, verse 28. God causes all things to work together for good. Not all things are good, but He causes them to work for good because, because He is the author of life and He can turn around what, what the enemy means for death and He can bring life into it. Even the things that you've experienced in the past that have been hard, that have been things that you maybe you don't understand. Let me tell you this one story. Years ago, Sherry and I went to a conference up in Oklahoma that Dennis Jernigan was hosting. And some of you will know Dennis Jernigan and some of you won't. But in the conference, they were talking about, specifically the way they put it, was the healing of memories. God, where were you when this happened? And they shared this one story about a lady who had given birth to a stillborn, a stillborn baby. And her memory of that was of a cold, sterile hospital room with uncaring, and I'm sorry for all the, the, uh, the, the medical professionals in here, but kind of seemingly, uh, seemingly uncaring and unfeeling people whisking around and doing this and that where her, when her heart was breaking. God, where were you in that? And so she asked, asked the Lord, where were you? And he gave her a new memory. He showed her that when that little baby came out of her womb, that Jesus scooped him up in his arms and danced around and said, it's a boy. It's a boy. Do you think that that brought healing to her? Do you think that life came in to the very source of pain and death in her heart and, 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 and changed her memory of that? I'm telling you, God can go. He's the God of life. He's the God who brings life into those places of death. For us and our part, what do we need to do? We need to hear God's word. We need to believe his word. We need to confess his word. We need to hear. We hear, we believe, we confess. Real quickly, John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. Truly I say to you, look at this guys. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So we hear his word. We believe his word. And has not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Is there, yeah, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. His words bring life. The power of His word, of His, of his voice brings life. What He can speak into your situation. What do you need? If, what are you facing? God can speak into it and He can speak life into that very thing that maybe you feel like has you entombed. And you can come out of that. You hear His word. You confess His word. Let's look at Romans 4.17. Romans 4.17 says this, As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of Him, capital H, so that's God, in Him whom He believed, that's Abraham believed, even God, who gives life to the dead 
and calls into being that which does not exist. He calls it into being. He speaks it out. And he's given us that same authority and place of position to be able to declare life into a situation. We do that when we repeat what God has said about any situation that we're facing. We re- we're repeating. We're confessing. We're saying, this is what God said. And when we do that, it releases life. We speak. We hear. We confess. And it goes on to say, it talks about even how Abraham gave glory to God. Later on, and I didn't, and yeah, later on in this same chapter, he gave glory. I think that place of confession is not only saying what God has been saying, but it's a place of praising God and giving him glory in the midst of it. That shows that we trust him and we believe him. We can, we hear, we believe, and we confess. That's what they, when you look at the hall of faith in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, especially verse 13, Basically, it says they saw it. They could see the promise. They could see what God was going to do. They welcomed it and they confessed it. You read it there. They saw it. They welcomed it and they confessed it. That's what we can do. He's the God of life and he wants to bring life into your situation.